2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Uh, let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies and TV shows from <laughs> an anarcho-capitalist perspective from the uh, Rothbardian angle. This is episode 78, and we're going to be talking about the Netflix documentary, Evil Genius. I have my co-host with me, Robert, and hey. uh, Robert, Ayo. show notes at uh, actualanarchy.com slash 78. How you doing? I think so. I think they are there. Call me out. Prove me a liar. Uh, I'm doing all right, man. Yeah, it's a nice, toasty day in the valley. Uh, yeah, doing good. Let's 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 do this this TV show thing. We're doing a TV show. You call this a TV show? We're doing a TV show. Yeah, I mean, it's what what is anything anymore? You know, with Netflix and streaming and whatnot. I mean, it's sort of TV, but they also make movies and things like that. And we kind of got suckered into this one. You had been watching some other documentaries, and they had been really good. And yep. somebody said, "Hey, this one's really good too." And we're like, "All right, we'll give that a shot. It's short enough." Yep. Yep. We'll try it, and uh, well, we'll find out as we get into the last night's portion of the show. Everyone, our thoughts on this. So, if you're mm, ready, I am. Wayne's World, Wayne's World. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, The Last Nighters. We're going to be talking about a TV show this time. Normally we do movies, but um, we want to branch out a little bit. We might get into some other TV shows in the future. We've been having some requests from some of our listeners. So tonight is the Netflix documentary, Evil Genius, and this is episode 21 of the show. You can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 21. We'll say hello to Robert before we get into talking about this movie, test slash TV show, whatever, whatever this thing is. How you doing, man? Hey, everybody. How you doing? Robert, back again for something a little bit different this time. Yeah, we were... Uh, I've, I originally watched the... Um, making a murder documentary back a couple months ago and I was just super fired up and pumped about it and I really wanted to talk about it but the due to the nature of what we do it's kind of a long form show it's 10 hours and we're not really sure how we would break it up into episodes and it's a big time commitment for Daniel and you know it's 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 an undertaking and so we haven't done it yet but then we saw this evil genius and it's kind of like on everybody's lips right now a little bit and so we thought we might jump on that because it is shorter and so here we are doing it, and then maybe we'll do some more of these in the future because, man, some of these are really good. Others, not so much. Yeah, and spoiler alert, this is one of the not-so-muches, unfortunately. 
And there's not a whole lot of uh, Google information on this. I mean, the, you do a search for it and there's a bunch of stuff, but there's not like the, with a film, how we traditionally do the Google description and the ratings and all that. It doesn't really exist here. But just real briefly, if you haven't seen this already, it's a four-part documentary slash miniseries about a real-life event that was a bank robbery by a group of people who put a bomb around the neck of some stooge and had him go in and rob a bank. Shortly yep. thereafter, the cops stop the guy, and there's a standoff, and he claims that it was put on him, and he's innocent, and he was forced into this, and then the bomb goes off, killing him, and then it kind of goes on from there. Uh, a right. very unique and strange case, and I don't really recall much of it in real life. I'm sure it was all over the news at the time, but um, I really didn't hear about it until somebody suggested, hey, Evil Genius is an interesting Netflix special. You know, maybe maybe it'd be worth talking about. So here we are talking about it. And um, Robert, you want to fill in any other color on that before we get into some of the specific questions? I, I know I, I'm going to have a little bit of difficulty with this one because there's a lot going on, but not a whole lot happens, which is... Yeah, not a lot whole happens, and there is a fair amount of data thrown at you, and who's telling, it, it kind of gets down to a he said, she said. There's a whole lot of he said, she said in this show. So much. There's a couple accomplices, and they're all saying different things. And a lot of it, for me, came down to, well, this person's clearly lying, <laughs> versus this person might be telling some truth. Who knows? But they all said opposite things, each accusing the other. And the, there wasn't a whole ton of evidence, except towards the end, they kind of revealed a, a bit of the evidence that kind of, you know, pointed to one of these people. But it was really just a matter of, well, who was the actual mastermind? Does it really matter? These people were all involved. <laughs> They're all guilty. So it kind of, for me, it comes down to, was it handled properly by the cops? Eh, no. But is any case ever handled properly by the cops? So it wasn't a big surprise to me when they when they when they bungled it. You know, it's like yeah, par for the course. I don't know. I wasn't too too surprised by that. Yeah, and how it was presented to me was that there was like so many screw ups by the cops that it would be entertaining for somebody from our perspective to look at it and laugh. You know, like like oh look how dumb and how poorly they handled this. But in watching it, it just seemed like you know the normal snafu. Like there was just so much information, fifty thousand pages of documents. And a few things got missed between jurisdictions and agencies and things. And that seems like a normal expected thing to me. That doesn't seem like an out of your way screw up kind of. Well, and imagine being the guy that's responsible for searching that lady's house. <laughs> You're supposed to find clues and, you know, what a nightmare that would be. Yeah, if, if the one takeaway I got from this was that if you're a hoarder, you might be on drugs and you might be an evil mastermind because every single participant in this, from the fishing buddy to the old flame to the crazy lady, all lived in total hoarding squalor. All of them yes. did. Yep. Yeah, they described the uh, the house that the, the crack whore would uh, turn tricks in. It sounded horrific. <laughs> the, the, the lady's house where the dead body was in the freezer. It sounded like some kind of thing out of a nightmare. None of it was great. So, yeah, these, these were not, I don't know. Then again, there's all kinds of, you know, crazy squalor people that don't go around killing pizza delivery guys. So I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush here, but um, I don't know, man. These, these people didn't seem like they were on the level. They didn't seem like they had everything upstairs, especially the lady. Although even the, um, the guy, the main bomb maker guy, and I don't remember, you probably have the names written down, but I, I can't remember quite the names just now. But even when he would go around telling everybody else that he was the smartest guy in the room and all that stuff, 
Rothstein. That was just that was just begging to be known as, hey, I'm the guy that did it. When you go around talking to some people, bragging about how smart you are and how everybody else is really a big dummy, and it, you know, it, it really, I mean, it's one thing to think that you're smarter than a cop. I have been guilty of that many, many, many times. And it's, it's true because they don't really pick out the super smart people. In fact, if you have a really high IQ, you test really high, they go, mm, maybe, maybe police work's not for you because it's a really boring job. And they also want people who are just going to follow orders anyway. But this guy was so arrogant about it, and he thought that he could just, you know, get away with whatever because he was so smart. In fact, the lady did too. And I don't know if you – was it – do you think that the whole having a guy in your freezer was part of the master plan? That just seemed like a breakup between the two, and then the one was going to be vindictive and try and destroy her. I don't know. This kind of turned into a shit show. Like they, they had this plan to that failed, right? because their dupe got caught by the cops like immediately. And even then he only had like eight grand in till money, not the 250 grand that he wanted. I mean, what, how smart are these people really? Yeah, it, it seems like a really bizarre situation. I mean, let's set the scene. Marjorie is the crazy lady. Bill Rothstein is the old flame love interest. Uh, Ken something is the uh, fishing buddy. And then there's another dude who was living with Rothstein. So there's a bunch of different players. And then there's this pizza guy who gets blown up. And it's, it's bizarre to me because a few reasons. One is a lot of the people are relatively older and near death anyway. And yeah. Marjorie is already wealthy in a respect. Like she has a means of getting money through lawsuits and suing people and also getting away <laughs> with murders of her um, husband and uh, boyfriends and whatnot. Like three or four of them ended up dying and she got off on some technicality uh, claiming self-defense uh, when, when she shot one of them. While he was sleeping. Yeah, while he was sleeping. So, you know, so how do you figure that one? <laughs> immediate threat right there. <laughs> but so, he, all right. So here, here's one thing that really, really bothered me. This Brian guy, the guy who's the pizza dude, and he gets killed. They, the police, have no leads, right? Nothing's really going on, and they break into his house. And they find this address book with all these prostitutes in it. And they present this in the documentary like they went into his house and searched everything. And he had these prostitutes. Like, why is it any of their fucking business? Why are they telling us this? Yeah. Like, if if yeah. he was the victim, why are they breaking into his house? You know, it seems really fucked up. Like, where did all this come from? And then they cut the guy's head off, right, to get the uh, device all the way off. And his family was all right. upset about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I mean, at one point, I think you got to, they were trying to determine whether or not he was, you know, an accomplice or a part of this, right? I mean, it, I would say that the bomb blowing up and him dying kind of absolves him of any culpability, kind of. Now, he could have been backstabbed. He, he might have thought it wasn't a real bomb, but he seemed pretty convinced that it was a real bomb. I mean, so who knows? Like, maybe it's okay that, you know, you would break into a guy's house afterwards. But yeah, the idea that, hey, this guy saw prostitutes. So that makes him a shady person or something. And so maybe he was doing bad things. I mean, that's, that's a bunch of crap. Right. Um, but it, it did that turn out that they found some good information, right, yeah. from the, the crack or prostitute lady. I shouldn't say crack or. She seemed like a perfectly lovely lady who just had a drug problem. But I can't, I, do you have her name so I can stop calling her crack or? Because that seems really insulting. Oh, man. You know, I, I, I have in my notes this lying crack or because that's what Marjorie called her. <laughs> Damn it. That's okay, the very nice drug-addled prostitute lady who had a drug problem, 
who actually liked Brian and thought that he was a very nice person and actually might have given birth to his son. Um, yeah, she ended up confessing and actually providing some pretty solid evidence. Um, but she was ultimately responsible for right. finding him and providing him as a dupe for these people. But she didn't get any of the heat for this. No, she didn't. Neither did Bill, really. I mean, he cooperated with the cops so that he would never face any jail time. He was just on parole the whole time, right? Or like, yeah, parole, I guess, or whatever it is. Oh, the Rothstein guy? Yeah, he was cooperating, yeah. and, and so he was free on his own recognizance or something. Yeah, but something like that. he also knew that he was dying. I, I wasn't sure, quite sure on the timeline of that. Did he know he was dying from right away, from the get-go, or was it way later? Because it seemed like he lived for many, many years and then died of cancer. Uh, if I recall, he died in 2004, like this time of year. So, you know, June-ish, 2004. And this, all the events happened in September or October 2003. So it was seven or eight months later that he died. And if you've got that much cancer riddling your body, I think that you're aware of it at least, you know, six, seven months prior, you would think. Are you sure about that? I thought it was more like he died in like 2014 or something, but I could be way wrong. No, I think you're way wrong. That's, I think that's when Marjorie died. But anyway, okay. Anyway, uh, I think that he knew that he was going to die, and that's why he was a participant in this. It was like perhaps the opportunity for him to exhibit how smart he was. Because here, here's the other thing with with the police, they had like no leads other than Brian saw prostitutes, and then the case went cold for a few weeks until all out of the blue, Rostein calls him up and says, "Hey, you need to come get Marjorie. She's she's got a dead body in the freezer here." And then he goes right. in and interviews with them, and that like gives momentum to the case, even though he claims it's unrelated to the Brian stuff, to the pizza thing. Right, and that was clearly suspicious when they kept saying, you know, this has nothing to do with this. Why would you even feel the need to say that? Yeah, even though the pizza was delivered right next to my house. <laughs> yeah, and she just happened to be at all these locations, these key locations the day of. Oh, I was just out and about, you know, driving the wrong way on the highway and stopping at the Shell station the exact same time when the call was made. Yeah, with, with her to be there. Cruella DeVille eyes, right? She's got some crazy eyes, man. Oh, she's got the super crazy eyes. She, she should have known better than to go into public because, you know, she's going to get, if anybody sees her, it's going to be a thing that happened that day to that person that they're not going to forget. You know, I saw somebody with the crazy eyes. That's a thing that sticks out in somebody's mind. Yeah, she sure did. Um, she started out, you know, pretty good looking, and then she really let herself go, or you know, things some kind of went tits up at some point in her lifetime. I don't know what it does when she didn't seem to have the crazy eyes when she was younger. I don't know what happened there. It did seem like there was a lot of the uh, crack smoking going around, and her fishing buddy guy Ken Barnes was named Cocaine Ken. So one can imagine, you know, birds of a feather and all that, that perhaps she had uh, dabbled as well into some of the I don't harder think drugs. Cocaine turns your eyes crazy, does it? But um, something might probably, I'm sure, happened to her. I don't think she just, and I just went crazy on her. But yeah. anyway, let's, let's talk about Marjorie for a little bit. Well, now, before we do that, just I wanted to ask you one question. Okay. Uh, when they suspect Brian and then his workmate dies unexpectedly right before he's supposed to give a statement, the yeah. documentary almost paints this brush like, is there some rash of pizza delivery men being involved in bank robberies? And I was just thinking, Robert, you used to deliver pizzas. Are you perhaps a bank robber? And No comment. And just imagine if, it, if they were Uber drivers. It would be all over the news. <laughs> it would be all over the news. Uber driver commits blah, blah, blah. It's like if anybody ever does anything wrong, and then they go, well, what did this guy do for a living? Oh, he's a pizza delivery guy. Oh, okay. Well, let's not include that in the news story. Oh, he was an Uber driver. Headline, Uber driver does blank. 
not like there's a conspiracy to dis- disparage Uber. Of course not. Just if you pay <laughs> attention to the news. That's exactly how they type out headlines. Um, yeah, so I, I used to uh, deliver the old pizza for the old uh, pizza of the hut. And uh, I don't recall ever robbing too many banks. You know, if I was near a bank, you would stop and, you know, take, make a couple withdrawals. But I don't remember getting killed or killing any of my coworkers with bombs around their necks specifically. So, yeah, no, this was a new one on me. Although it would have been around that time, right? Because let's see, I, yeah, yeah, it was right around then, right around the early 2000s when I was doing that. I'm surprised yeah, I didn't do you, hear about Do you recall this, this story at all from... Not when at it was all. Happening? No. No, this is like in Wisconsin or something, right? Uh, upper Pennsylvania, the little chimney oh. between New York and Ohio, which they actually mentioned that the geography is kind of interesting because that little strip of land of Pennsylvania is actually quite narrow. And so mm. jurisdictionally, in the criminal aspect, you can be in another state, uh, either one, in like 20 minutes. And so that seems like it makes an interesting... Getaway place, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Conflict of escape routes. Now, I'm sure that there's like interjurisdictional bullshit that makes that not so prevalent these days. But if I do recall, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I think that jurisdiction played a bigger role. Like if you got across a state line, it somehow protected you in a way. Well, if I learned anything from watching the Dukes of Hazard, then yes, that's exactly correct. As long as you get across the county line, then those cops, they can't get you. That yeah, was I'm a sure. documentary, right? Pretty sure. <laughs> With the Daisy Dukes, yeah. I'm sure that's not really the case, at least any longer, but maybe back in the day. Could be, could be, yeah. But now there's the, I mean, back in the day, there wasn't necessarily the FBI and the CIA and all those places that can operate nationally and federally and whatever. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, Marjorie, let's talk about her. Marjorie. So the, the Black Widow, man. She's a serious Black Widow. And how she was able to seduce these people, I don't know. I mean, it must have been her charming personality. <laughs> Um, well the the documentary sure liked to say that she was charming but she never appeared so it liked to say that she was attractive but she never appeared so Um, you know maybe the old photographs you know she looked pretty good but anyway when she was being interviewed she was on the the, they're doing the two-way interview and she's behind the glass and she was talking to the lawyer and she struck me as the kind of person now when you accuse somebody of something and the person can, you know, either deny it or say like, why would I need to do X? I've already got plenty of X. And one hand, you might take that as a fairly reasonable thing to say, but I think the very first thing an innocent person would say would be, I had nothing to do with this. Now, maybe she'd been saying, answering this question a million times and this came up, but it seemed to me that when she said, hey, I'm already a wealthy person, why would I need to do this? It really sounded to me like eight-year-old Robert trying to get out of something that he had done. It reminded me of myself lying about it. Yeah, something that I had done and then gone, hmm, what would be a good lie? Oh, yeah, why would I need to do this? I've already blah, blah, blah. There's no reason for me to do this, so therefore I didn't do it. Now, it might be a decent thing to come up in a trial. There's no motive, or at least, you know, that motive doesn't make sense, you know, the money motive even though there's plenty of other motives for her to have done it or whatever. But when she was saying that, it really struck me as this is some BS lie. Did that strike you to that at all? Or did you take her, did that sound reasonable to you? Because in general terms, it's a fairly reasonable excuse. But in this sense, it really struck me as a lie. 
Well, I don't. I didn't believe her for a second. I mean, a her face is on the cover of the thing, right, of the movie for the show. <laughs> so it's clearly <laughs> her. That's clearly she's the one. <laughs> so that's kind of a giveaway. But the other part is um, that yeah, she she has like a ready answer, like a pre pre thought. Yes response but conversely exactly. you know, if, if you're confronted with a accusation like this i mean what what would you be expected to say i i have no idea what you're talking about well that's just what somebody who's guilty would say you know mm-hmm. no it, you're right i that's a perfect way to describe it is it sounded like she had been thinking about this and this was a prepared response like what am i going to say if i'm ever confronted about this crime that i'm committing i'm going to say this this and this instead of what are you even talking about i have no idea you know blah 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 whatever now, how much of a role did she play? Who can say? But she was clearly involved in the, the planning. I mean, she provided the timers for the bomb. She was there on the day. And then for her to just deny, deny, deny to her dying day, pretty sad, honestly, when she com- admitted to murdering, you know, other husbands slash boyfriends or whatever. I don't know what she was trying to hide, what, like her good name. Is that what she was trying to say? Well, that did seem to be important to her, right? She kept threatening to sue people for libel. For telling but then she blabs, to her, uh, she blabs to her prison cellmates about how she's killing people all the time and different details of the case about see, fitting the guy for the collar and whatnot. She's got things that she can say in public and then things that she can only say in prepared speeches. Yeah, I, you know, I know people that are bipolar and I don't know them super well, but she didn't strike me as too mentally ill or maybe we were just seeing the part of her when she was taking her meds. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. But that whole I'm mentally ill defense kind of wore thin on me too. But it, did, it, did it get sympathies from you? Were you like, oh, poor lady? No, not especially because, I mean, especially nowadays, you could almost claim anyone has some mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you play video games? Mentally ill. Oh, you have opinions that the government's not, like, benevolent? Oh, mentally ill, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a flimsy distinction at best. I mean, you know. But, well, I mean, okay, go ahead. Let's do this. Well, I, I was going to ask you about uh, the Rothstein guy because she kept saying that he's an extremely intelligent guy, but he's not a finisher. And I wondered if that had any <laughs> spark to you because I feel like you're a smart guy. And I feel like uh, I am a smart guy sometimes, but I don't feel like either one of us has really been a finisher in life thus far. Milk is for closers. No, yeah, i very calcium deficient. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, I really haven't been much of a finisher my entire life. It's really struggles. I'm a perfectionist, and it's really hard for me to, you know, let go of something when I know it's not done or not perfect or something. So I don't know if that's what he had. There's probably various versions of that problem. But maybe maybe the uh, terminal cancer kicked him in the ass enough for him to rob this bank. I don't know. I mean, if he had what what was the motive here really? Did they really think they were going to get two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from this bank? I mean, if they're that smart, do they know that the bank doesn't have that on hand, or that the bank vault is only open in such times, or that whatever? Right. And then, then their going, plan for go ahead. And then going on this random ass scavenger hunt that didn't even have enough time to actually get to the checkpoints to allot the victim more time. Yeah, that, so what that would even, just, yeah, but that wouldn't even lead him to being able to get away with the money, right? Or he dropped it off in like a garbage can, right? Was that the thing? Probably. I don't remember. I don't know, man. It, they seemed like very unstable individuals that, you know, thought they were smarter than they really were. I mean, maybe they were fairly intelligent, 
but this was such an elaborate scheme to, you know, have maybe some sort of a payoff when it's just such a weird, weird motive. It's hard getting into their heads. You know, when you, when you, when you hear about a crime, you're like, well, why you want to know why this person committed this thing? Yeah. That's always the question. Why? So you look at the motive and here, the motive is so unclear for me. And there's the money motive, but you know, she had the money. She had money. He also had money, although he had been burning away money. Um, and then there was the whole thing about her wanting to kill her dad and maybe hiring the guy, the hitman, for a quarter million. But then she's like, no, why would I do that? I'd just kill him myself if I wanted to. It's such a mess in that sense. Um, I don't know. It just I wanted this documentary to be more inspiring for, you know, have interesting themes to discuss. And it really just turned out to be a bunch of crappy people doing crappy things, a bunch of people on drugs who – thought that they were hot shit or wanted to get some revenge on somebody or whatever. And so they had this weird idea. I mean, I'll give them props for killing people weirdly. And, and really, the Brian Wells guy, he was, I was, I mean, I felt really sad for him. That was the big, I mean, if we're doing tears jerk, that was it. It's like, here's this guy. I mean, as in, you know, pizza delivery boy solidarity here. <laughs> I'm going to feel for my boy who, you know, hadn't really succeeded in life. And I'm right there with him. But, you know, he's living it, and it's his life to live. And if he wants to see prostitutes and deliver pizzas, then you leave him alone. You let him do it. You don't go killing him because you're some psycho weirdo. So I wanted, I wanted some justice for that guy, but nobody, he didn't get any. I mean, the lady died in prison, and the other guy died from cancer, but neither of them got prosecuted for, for his murder. Or yeah, no, 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 they no. did not, I don't think, because they had ruled that he was an accomplice, even though the... Crackhor finally admitted at the end that she had manipulated him into being their, their stooge. But because he died as a result of committing a felony, then there's no criminal charge in the murder, right? Mm, mm. Which is ridiculous, but that's what you get with government. You get some kind of rule that applies that they're going to apply unilaterally instead of looking at each case individually. Yeah. Now, the Rothstein guy, um, he did get... The charge against him was abuse of a corpse because he had put yeah. the guy in the freezer. Mm-hmm. And the irony of that is that that's exactly what the cops did to Brian. Yeah. <laughs> but when they do it, it's fine, Daniel. The rules don't apply to everybody equally. Now, I would say that, you know, they were attempting to discover, you know, the culprit. And you got to do some things to do some things, I guess. You got to. Break, break some eggs to make an omelet, I guess. I, I, it wasn't clear to me why they needed to cut his head off instead of just cutting this thing off as if you were going to discover some kind of forensic evidence that was going to lead you to the killer that was going to be destroyed by a saw in making one cut on one side. Yeah, they I kept talking about matching tool marks, and I was like, what does that even mean? I mean, what he used like screwdrivers and pliers putting this thing together. Like, you're going to match it to, you know, millions of... <laughs> Potential this screwdriver. one screwdriver. <laughs> this one screwdriver, yeah. Maybe. Maybe it's like bullet ballistics. I don't know. Maybe you can. Oh, and I've got the name of the, the crack whore. It's Hoopsick. Jessica, I think, Hoopsick. There you go. Good old Jessica Hoopsick. She's a perfectly lovely lady who turned tricks in a dumpster. I don't feel good for her. She, but she's cleaning up her life, so good for her. Yeah, so here, here's an interesting caveat, side, side note that we could talk about. One of the points they brought up was that Marjorie's parents spoiled her. She was an only child, and she had 
I guess, become so used to getting things from them that she was never able to make it on her own. She, she could never hold down a job. She was constantly getting money from her dad. And she'd bought a couple of houses. She'd bought a classic car and didn't take care of any of it. Like, she was a hoarder. Uh, she let things get into disrepair, didn't clean them. They'd fall apart, that kind of thing. And so then her parents finally stopped enabling her and cut her off. And that's what pissed her off, which is what had happened in Find Me Guilty with the cousin of Jackie, who had been... Exactly getting enabled and then he got cut off and then he got upset and wanted to kill Jackie. So that seems to be part of the plot. Part of the component here was that she saw her gravy train drying up and her other method of making money was via litigants or litigation, right? That was the other thing that she had said. I think I wrote it down here. It said, um, I have a facility to make money. I've won several judgments. So she had, you know, been suing people to get money. Right now, she did. There was apparently a robbery at her house where people took like 100 grand in cash because she kept all her money in cash on the premises. Now, how they actually found it in that mess of a house. Under the dead cats. Probably under the dead cats. That's what she needed to do. She needed to hide it in plain sight under the dead cats, and then you know it's safe instead of actually putting it in like a safe. Fatal flaw. Yeah. But. Um, Back to her parents, so they cut her off and then didn't even put her in the will. Yeah, and, well, they knew that she was going to misuse the money, so, I mean, yeah, you, want, then, you know, you, you love somebody, you don't want to just keep enabling in them in their, you know, you subsidize what you want more of in the world. If you got somebody with a problem and you give them money and they're just going to keep abusing that problem. Yeah, and uh, so one, one final point on that is that I guess the, the, the last straw for her was her dad cut her off and then was giving money to neighbors. Yeah, yeah, he was just trying to get rid of it. Or just seems like, you know, that to people that he thought were like worthy causes as opposed to his own daughter, which was, yeah, which would be terrible. Something to be said for spoiling your kid. Not to say that all spoiled kids turn out terribly, but you really need to look at incentives and, um, you know, when, when raising a child. And if you're yeah. just going to treat baby them, then they're going to grow up to be babies. So I only have a couple of more points, and then maybe we can compare and contrast to some of the other documentaries that you've been seeing on the Netflix. Yeah, yeah. So my my two other points were the quote-unquote CSI effect, that the FBI agent was saying that they wanted her to cop a plea, but she wouldn't, um, and they knew that they didn't have shit when it came to forensics. And with CSI popularizing the whole concept of, oh, they can go onto a scene and find all these fibers and bug larvae and how long that they... (laughs) have been hatched and all these things. Um, oh, yeah. There's an expectation uh, in the general population that the juries are pulled from that you need this level of evidence and that it's available. And if you don't have it, that's very damning to your case. And so that's why they were really pushing for a plea. And she was smart not to do it. Um, but it's that also why they want, want to avoid trial. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the government usually wants to pressure people into a trial. I mean, you usually want to pressure them into a, copying a plea deal because, one, it admits guilt. It kind of vindicates their position. They don't have to go through all the effort and the length and the time of the trial, and it increases their numbers. It makes them look good. And then it also, you know, puts a person in jail and creates another criminal, so you have another disarmed citizen. I mean, it's just a win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win for, for, for a state control. So I can see why they want to do it, but, um, you know, in the sense that if you're charged with some BS crime, man, if you can, and I understand why people don't, because it is lengthy and it is expensive and it is just exhausting. 
and it's just soul-destroying to, you know, d- defend yourself against all these ridiculous accusations. But the um, federal court has something like a 98% conviction rate because, you know, the government has amazing resources that they can throw at you if they really want to put you away. And the average human being just cannot stand up to that. So, yeah, when anybody is smart enough or knows their case enough, the, the, the uh, specifics of their case, to stand up and say no, take me to trial, you got to kind of respect that. So, I mean, as much as I think that she was a guilty human being, I kind of respect her for doing that and taking that stand. Yeah, it's an odd thing to respect this person who clearly <laughs> did some evil, evil shit. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, she at least had the balls to say, all right, prove it. Yeah. Which is sort of the whole point. I mean, the whole, the whole innocent before proven guilty concept has been seemingly thrown out the window. Certainly has. I mean, all you have to do is say somebody said something bad or, you know, I mean, <laughs> you can see with the Me Too moment like Louis C.K. I was ranting about this the other day. I mean, there's a, a new piece on, I think, uh, Vulture that um, a comedian comedian came out and said that, you know, Louis C.K. asked me to watch him masturbate. And so then what follows is like five pages of her talking about her being a victim, about how, how he asked her a question. I mean, if all it takes is to ask a question and that makes you a piece of shit and guilty and everything like that, I mean, this is, you know, hysteria. I prefer the innocent until proven guilty. I mean, the, the Duke lacrosse team was vilified up, left, down, right, and center. And that, that all turned out to be a bunch of crap. But I bet you there's people today who still think that they're all terrible people because that was, you get the, the accusation and it's plastered all over the headlines and the news story, the news cycle goes for like a couple of weeks about a thing, all saying how they're terrible people. And then it turns out it's a bunch of crap, you know, weeks or months later. When, and then when it does come out that they're innocent, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, we were wrong about that. I was innocent. And then moving on. Yeah, there's like one little minor retraction somewhere. Yeah. It's like, you talked about this shit, frontline news for two months, and then you get a page 12 retraction in like 30 words. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're just destroyed. You're absolutely destroyed. And it's absolutely guilty until proven innocent. So it's unfortunate, the world we live in. It's I appreciate the uh, due process as much as it's been eroded around the world and especially in this country. Yeah, so that take, takes me into the next question for you, the, the presumption of, of innocence no longer being a thing. Her lawyer back from the 1984 self-defense murder of her sleeping boyfriend, her lawyer said that the mental health system kept kicking her back out and that she had had him, he had had her committed four times, and he thought that she should have been in the psych ward for the rest of her life uh, without trial to protect society. This is her lawyer speaking, her defense lawyer. Mm-hmm. Now, well, I did appreciate that. Oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, that, that just totally throws out due process, right? Oh, lock her up. Put her in a psych ward. We've got to protect society. Oh, sure. Well, this reminds me of the making a murder where the, um, the teenager's lawyer essentially berated a confession out of him. His own lawyer, his own defense lawyer. He's like, we're not leaving until you tell me how you murdered these people. And like, and then handed over that information to the prosecutor. <laughs> what? Anyway, totally sad. But yeah. Um, well, I thought it was interesting that she even, you know, pretended to be crazy to go into the um, the crazy ward in prison because they had better food. I, I just, it seemed to be a thing of convenience. Like when 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 she wanted to be crazy, she could be crazy, and she could fall on that and use it as a crutch and as an excuse. And then when she wanted to be lucid and you wanted people to believe you, then all of a sudden she was making sense or some semblance of sense, and you're supposed to take her seriously. I, I understand that bipolar means that you're not 
you know, sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off. But it sure seems to be some sort of a convenient excuse that, oh, that was just temporary insanity or, oh, I was just crazy at that point. Now I'm fine. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Seems to be some sort of a catch all. Yeah. Well, it certainly seemed to be her economizing, taking her available resources and using them by whatever means she had available to achieve the ends that she was desiring. So when it was convenient to be crazy, she used it to get better food and move to another facility. And when it was convenient to be lucid, she did that. You know, she was gaming the system, if you will, and it uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's a rational thing. Believe me, that sure is rational. If there are these loopholes or, you know, you're following these rules, you want to play their game and they allow for these, you know, concessions, take advantage of those concessions, I suppose. It makes sense. I mean, it's a bullshit game anyway, so what do you care? I mean, I, I think the whole system is a bunch of crap. So, you know, if I were to play it dirty, I wouldn't necessarily fault someone for playing it dirty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. And uh, one yeah. final note uh, that I have is the courtroom artist. He said at the beginning of the trial, he was drawing her from a perspective of her being menacing and dark and evil. But then after she took the stand and told him about her poor childhood and she was winning over the jury, then he started drawing her in a more whimsical light and, you know, less menacing and things like this. And I Mm -hmm. just wondered if if that struck you at all, because you're an artist as well, um, on a few counts. One is the perspective of the creator and how that influenced the art that he was creating and thus the message he was sending to people who were seeing it. And then, because uh, that clearly influences, right, what's the public opinion on this stuff, because this is the pictures that show up in the newspaper for some reason. Courtroom artists are still a thing, weirdly. Oh, yeah. So your well, thoughts on funny, that? Well, I will add my thoughts on that. Um, yeah, it's very, well, it's, I would say it's natural for the artist to, I mean, I'm sure as part of their job they're supposed to, you know, draw them as they see them, but you can't help but have your own hand and your own perspective in there when you're doing it. And that's just, otherwise you'd just be taking photographs. Um, so I, I don't begrudge the, the person. As you learn more about a thing, you know, you watch some piece of news or you watch some movie and at first the person's the villain and then it turns out that they're not the villain because you've got new context, new information. Yeah, you're going to perceive them differently. Um, but yeah, I would say that it, it's, it's open to abuse. You could definitely color, you know, draw somebody as this complete fanged monster <laughs> in a courtroom drawing and completely turn public perception against a perfectly fine, normal human being. Um, and this leads me into the next thing I want to talk about is that um, this the exact thing happens at the end of Wild Wild Country. It's Wild Wild Country. I want to hype the shit out of this documentary. This is the documentary that I wish we were talking about right now. But there's this uh, Indian guru guy who comes over to Oregon, and he sets up a commune. And feathers get ruffled, and hijinks ensue, and it is every which way. There's all kinds of things going on. There's such a clash of culture. But at the very end, he gets put on the stand in a courtroom. And he is very much depicted as this Darth Vader emperor, evil emperor guy. And the world hates him, like the U.S. press at least. The, the, the very tide and the sentiment against this guy is very, very strong. But inside, the people that follow him, and I would say that the documentary does a great job of showing both sides, although I would say it leans more towards the side of the guru. Um, there are some very convincing 
testimonies given by people on the inside of the guru. And I think that they provide a very strong narrative that I found far more sympathy, spoiler alert, with them. So I would say that the uh, American media, shocking, got it wrong. The American court system in that situation got it wrong. I know you're shocked. You're just gobsmacked. You don't know what to say. But uh, I, I think we might be talking about that hopefully soon. I, was, I watched it recently, and I was just absolutely fascinated. There are so many talking points in, that, in this series. It's a six-hour six series. Every single episode was chock full of hot-button things to talk about. Property rights figure massively. These people are sort of communists, but they're sort of capitalists. Um, and now that could describe anybody, but it's unique in that uh, you'll just have to see it. You just got to watch this documentary, Wild Wild Country. Hopefully we'll do it soon. Um, six-parter, maybe we'll divide it into three episodes, maybe six episodes, depending. Um, it will be a bit of a, a, bit of a you know, commitment on everybody's part, on our yeah. part to do it, on your part to listen to it, Daniel's part to watch it and take notes. But I'm up to watch it a second time. That's how good it is. It really is six hours long, but I would instantly watch it again if we were to like, yeah, we're going to do it because it's just that good. So um, uh, I highly recommend that. And I also recommend, uh, like I mentioned in the past, Making a Murder, another fantastic documentary. But let's just move into, you know, um, like our basically final summary and review of this. And I've got to say that this movie, this, this documentary was perfectly fine for what it was, I suppose. Like, entertainment-wise, it was okay. But as far as us doing an episode on it and with having interesting talking points and discussion points and, like, libertarian themes and that sort of thing, this is like a 1 out of 10, whereas Wild Wild Country is like a 10 out of 10. I'm so psyched to talk about that, and I'm so underwhelmed to talk about this. Unfortunately, we just did an episode about it. Hopefully, it was still a decent episode. I'm sorry if it wasn't. I apologize. But um, it is what it is. Hopefully, I, mean, I still had a good time talking about it, whatever. It's just uh, I wish the document was a little bit better. So I'm going to give this uh, doc um, a 5.5 out of 10. It's perfectly fine for what it is, but it, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't rock my socks off. All right, and it sounds to me like there's this sandwich, this shit sandwich, where you had the Wild Wild Country as one of the breads and Making a Murder as the other bread. So you had a bread of 10 yeah. and a bread of like 9, <laughs> and then we got this like turd sandwich here. <laughs> yes. Uh, well done. Yeah, so that's kind of my summary and review of this thing. Uh, I don't know if we had a lot of structure to this episode, but um, we had you know, some, some interesting things to at least bring up and question, and hopefully we made a few good points. And if you guys like this idea of us branching out from just movies and into some of these series type things like perhaps you know things that are on netflix and things of that nature uh, hit us up you know we've got uh, uh the social networks um we got the facebook if you find us on anchor.fm slash last nighters you can actually send us a one minute long message and we can include it in the show uh, in a future show so that might be an interesting way to get some questions or feedback uh if, if anyone's game for that so give that a shot uh but for me i'm going to go with a big old three on this thing for the uh, three components of the sandwich here and just say that uh, if, if you're bored, go ahead and give it a watch, but don't expect to be blown away. Uh, that, that wasn't that punny, was it? No. Anyway, <laughs> uh, falling apart at the end here. But yeah, it's something that, that, that was built up that I thought was going to be good, and then it just kind of fell flat for me. So giving it a big old three. Yeah, I mean, it really was just crazy bad people doing crazy bad things. Um, it wasn't, there weren't necessarily a whole lot of like, interesting nuance you know, different perspectives coming together, uh, you know, arguments to be made on both sides. It was really just 
oh, there's a bunch of crazy people. They committed a crime, and this is what happened. I mean, should the cops have noticed the van earlier? Sure, of course. Should they have maybe found, you know, passed along the prison testimony sooner? Yeah, but, eh, I mean, if you want to get mad about that stuff, sure, go for it. But there are plenty of uh, worse things that police and government do that I think are more worthy of our attention. Like in Making a Murderer. <laughs> oh, yeah, where you take an innocent man and you throw him in jail for life. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. In fact, two innocent men throw them in jail for life. Oh, yeah, yeah what was kind of... the deal with uh, giving Marjorie life plus 30? What is the point of that? Um, well, let's see. Uh, I think the guy in Making a Murderer is like serving three consecutive life sentences. So I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me. But yeah, they do that all the time. They, they, it's like, it's like extra punishment, you know. You committed three murders, so you're going to get a life sentence for each one. And you have to serve them consecutively. <laughs> it makes no sense. So after you die, you got to die again <laughs> and then die again. Okay. Yeah, if you get reborn, we're going to throw your ass in jail again for another lifetime. Yeah, you know, that's how you do it. All right. Well, let's wind this one down. So this has been The Last Nighters, episode 21 on Evil Genius. And I think our next movie, and we haven't talked about this ahead of time, but I'm going to propose to you, Robert, that we do the do. Ray, Ray Bradbury movie on the HBO, Fahrenheit 451. Okay. Michael, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, please. Michael B. Jordan. I, I've heard middling reviews, so be right up our alley to be like, eh. <laughs> but it's maybe got okay, the themes, not. man, the dystopian themes and the burning of everything. I think it's got plenty to talk about. It might. We'll see. I thought this was going to have plenty to talk about, but I was wrong. And I admit it. Blended Beaver. That's the first step, Blended Beaver. No, admitting it. Admitting it's the first step. Well, hey, guys, right. thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of The Last Nighters. And you can find me show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 21. Do subscribe to us on the iTunes. We now have the podcast feed on iTunes, also at anchor.fm. And you can find everything else at lastnighters.com. Give us a like, share, subscribe, review, rating, feedbacks, messages, all you got, anything. We'll take it. And uh, I'll say goodnight from uh, last night. Maximum freedom, everybody. And continuing that podcast on the Actual Anarchy podcast, Redundant. Uh, yeah, this was, like we were saying, a bit of a turd, but still, you know, we get to chat and hang out. And I think really that is one of the highlights of our show is just two guys chatting. Yep, just, so just we, chewing some scenery. We still did that. <laughs> Filling some airtime. <laughs> Complaining about a thing. Whining that it wasn't better than it was. Speaking of whining that something's not better than, than it was, I I keep saying, you know, hey, I'm going to stop debating on Facebook, and I have been laying it out there for the last two or three days, tussling yeah. with these commies, and, well, we're not actually communists. You don't even know what socialism is, man. We're democratic socialists. It's like, all right. <laughs> Tell me what definition you're using, and I'll still tear it apart. Yeah, you got to love it. You got to love that no true socialism. I mean, there was a recent article in uh, Wall Street Journal that was um, their correspondent in Venezuela is finishing up his five-year stint and he wrote his kind of like finale piece and he was just talking about how sad it was to watch people that, you know, he was living around slowly wither away over the past five years. Like, literally. Like, they don't have drug problems. They just weigh like, you know, 30% less than they used to. And, you know, the light's gone out of their eyes and they got to dig through the garbage and, you know, 16,000% inflation, hyperinflation. And like their, their, their Bolivar 
is worth less than World of Warcraft gold, like way less now. It's like a fifth of it or something like that. And they've yeah, got a while back, you know, they currency even, controls and price controls. And, yeah, they, they couldn't even afford paper to bring it in to print their money. Yeah, they, um, their solution to the problem is more control, is to you know, make it illegal to you know, not value their currency at X price, which is hilarious. So, and then, of course, uh, Maduro gets reelected. And all he did was say, like, you know, elect me, reelect me, and I'll give you, you know, everybody will get food. <laughs> that's, that's how you bribe people in Venezuela these days. Everybody's starving. There's like 85% poverty rate. Yeah, socialism, man, doing great. And then people come along and say it's not real socialism, and they're like, I'm like, well, good. If, if, if not real socialism is destroying a country that badly, who wants to see real socialism? That sounds like an even worse nightmare. Yeah, and, and even he, the guy in the even the guy in the Wall Street Journal said, uh, you know, it's not real socialism. He's like, no, this is authoritarianism. Bullshit, dude. Look up what you're talking about. Socialism is the state owning the means of production. That is authoritarian. So don't tell me that this isn't real socialism. That this is authoritarianism. Socialism implies authoritarianism. Requires it. Requires it. Thank you. It's a necessary antecedent. Is that what they say? Like you need the authority before you have the ability. Sounds right. I yeah. Approve this method. I'm really stretching back into the memory banks on this. But, so you've been debating these people, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, my, my counter to them was, well, it's not rape, it's democratic rape. <laughs> yeah, they've that been voting okay. for it, right? As long as it's, there's nine guys and one woman in a room and they all vote on what to do that night, then it's perfectly fine. Right? Democratic. Yeah. So I, 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 I will double down on my efforts to stop, but... You know, it just uh, sometimes they're out there begging for it, and it's just kind of ridiculous. And you know, it's nice to flex. Are you seeing that. any? Are you seeing any progress, or is it just like you know they they go dark and they leave in a huff? Um, or do they just call you an idiot and a moron. You don't know what you're talking about. I've been getting better about not getting called a Nazi or a Trump supporter or things like that. Um, I even had a few leftists say, you know, I'm really surprised that you uh, aren't the typical right winger who just gets all angry and you actually seem to present some arguments. So, you know, friend request me. Of course, mm. that's the guy I got into it with today. And he had told me that last week, like, hey, friend request me. He might be changing his mind. I got blocked twice yesterday, yesterday by two other people. Nice. Um, yeah, one of them kept telling me to get into the political process and make the change that I want to see Ugh, happen. Gross. And so I was like, so it's incumbent upon the victim of rape to petition the rapers to not rape them. Okay. I love it, Daniel. Thank you. You're doing great. I love how you're framing democracy as rape. Good. That's beautiful. It's the victim is required to petition the assaulters. <laughs> well, there's a process Hey, would you please that. stop raping me or rape me less? We gotta follow these this process this procedure right here and yeah we've got a got a procedure it's a marketplace of ideas and your idea if you can get enough support behind rape is bad then maybe just maybe we'll make it so you don't get raped I'm trying so hard not to mention something that happens in wild wild country mm. oh we can save it you can save it I'm gonna save it I'm gonna save it Daniel's gonna watch it so fucking good there's a, at one point. You know, they're all dressed in, like, orange and red and pink. At what point, they, um, they buy a bunch of Uzis, <laughs> these, these, these communist guys. And they look straight out of, like, an Austin Powers movie, like the enemy, like some rando, you know, Dr. Evil villain guy. <laughs> I really feel bad for them, but they look so hilarious. <laughs> oh, Daniel, you got to watch it. Okay, I'm going to shut up about that. Mm. Okay, anyway. <sighs> all right. Communists. 
All right, Dan, talking to communists. Democratic, saving them, saving them. Democratic socialists. Anyway, yeah. Do you, think that, that. do you think there's ever a chance that a modern-day socialist is ever going to point at anything and say, yes, that is real socialism? No. Okay, fair enough. Because they are the same people that like to point at anything that happens in the United States and say, ha, look, capitalism. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing that they're all saying is, well, capitalism kills billions and you're still supporting it, you evil bastard. And I'm like, all right, well, let's reframe and rephrase and say, if I am only advocating for voluntary exchange, full stop, then what? Yeah, how is that killing people? I mean, nature kills people. Is that that capitalism? When someone gets sick and dies because like a flu? Is that when they starve from not having food, like in Venezuela? Is that is that a capitalistic failure? Yeah, and they like also... to they like to put these labels on countries as if I mean every single country is socialist in nature. It's just the level of rot of socialism that has infected the country. I mean, you know, the defense is socialized in this country. Healthcare is heavily socialized in this country. You know, lots of industries are socialized. There's very little actual capitalism left, but what is left is still providing a ton of wealth and value. And uh, I don't know, it's just it's just taken for granted and then demonized. It's so annoying. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and and you know, there's a technical definition, right? There's the means of production are owned or controlled by the government. But mm-hmm. by that definition, I mean, are they saying all means of production in a given area? Or are they saying yeah. most or some? Because if, you know, it's like a sliding scale of how much intervention and how much control is exerted versus how much is up to market participants assuming entrepreneurial risk and making decisions they think are going to turn out uh, based on what they're forecasting and, and what they think the expectations are. And they could be wrong and suffer losses. And if they're right, then they'll earn a profit and be incentivized to do more of that. But even in that situation, just as you were saying, every country is on some level socialist in the respect that any intervention in voluntary exchange, any regulation, any control, any dictate, any license or permit to me qualifies as socialism uh, tendency or trend toward, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah, they're redistributing wealth. I mean, they take taxes from one and give to another. That's socialist. Right. And anything that's preventing or inhibiting or hindering a voluntary exchange, any outside party involving themselves is socialism to me. Well, my Mises was right when he said you're all a bunch of socialists when he was talking to a bunch of minarchists. Well, he was a minarchist, too. So I don't really. Wait, who was he talking to when he said that? Well, he was right about it. Sure um, I think it was at the Mont Pelerin Society meeting and, and uh, Milton Friedman was there. And that was one of the stories that he had mentioned uh, trying to say that Mises was an angry man or something like that. Meanwhile, some mm. Austrians have told the story, and it's, like, hilarious to them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, but so so there's the dictionary definition, and then there's, like, the sort of nuanced scale of it, you know? Like how much private decisions are being made and how much is state-controlled or controlled by others because even in full communism, where there's theoretically no state, you still have very restricted freedom on what you can own and what you can do with what you, quote, own. Sure. So that would still have, you know, the same problems. It's just they wouldn't have, they wouldn't call it a government anymore. But it would still be a government because it would still be a gang of people preventing you from doing the things that you want to do with your property. Indeed. Anyway, I didn't mean to go, <laughs> go this far. We're, we were talking about a movie or a show at some point. But anyway. You know what? We can, talk, we can do whatever we want, Daniel. 
Well, maybe, maybe yeah. we'll continue this on a little bit further in the uh, Patreon bonus content area. So if okay. you want to get in on that action, we call it the Kathleen Turner Overdrive. You get some pre-show, post-show, uh, all for the $5 level. So check us out at patreon.com slash readrothbard or actualanarchy.com slash Patreon to get there and send us those dollar dollar bills, y'all. And we will get into get the Kathleen Turner Overdrive right after this message. Show us some more. Actualanarchy.com slash 78. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yep, 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 yep. What he said. All right, everyone. Right. Peace out, homies. Maximum freedom. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do